Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. So good. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. You know what that means? And it says, not imputing their trespasses to them. We see a lot of sin in the world. God doesn't see it. There are a lot of prophets out there saying all this garbage about all this sin. God's going to judge this. God's going to judge that. But the Scripture says God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. God's not looking at a sinful world. He's looking at a reconciled world. And when we see it like God sees it, then that's when we can really preach the gospel the right way instead of pointing the fingers. See, the problem that's going on right now, in case you haven't been on social media in a while, is that the church too much is drawing lines of division. Believers are drawing lines of division instead of talking about a God who reconciled the world to himself. They're making each other pick sides. You're either for or against. No, no, I'm for the gospel. See, the gospel's the answer for all men. All right? So we got to stop getting on our soapboxes, my family, and picking out issues and subjects. And remember, the substance is Christ. All right? Should we really be shocked that the world keeps digressing? Huh? Is that... Are we, are we expecting the world to have a Christian standard? That's ridiculous. Paul says when it comes to righteousness, the unbeliever, they're not under such law. They're not, they're not held to that, right? It's not until we get a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, then that, then that is, we have this new creation. Therefore, that nature of God then begins to work itself out. But how can we win others? How can we show them the love of God if we're pointing the finger and continually talking division? It's just not going to work. It never has worked, ever. Now I'm on my soapbox. But the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power, right? Not my opinion and not my argument. And though your opinion might be pretty good, right? But the world doesn't need one more wisdom of man, right? It needs a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the, what the world needs now. <laughs> it does need love. It needs the, the love of God. So our issues, huh? Our issue needs to be Jesus, Christ crucified, buried, and rose again. Whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. All right? Yeah. So I want to just encourage you. And I'm not saying you're the ones that are out here fighting people. I'm, I think you're better than that. But, but remember, remember we talked about draw, we draw circles of love, not lines of division. Circles of love, not lines of division. All right? Just because you love someone does not mean you accept what they're doing. All right? Just because you love someone, just because you accept someone doesn't mean that you accept their lifestyle, what they're doing. 
It's not even the point of it. Right? Jesus wasn't afraid to be around anybody. He hung out with everybody. And the only people that got mad about it were the church people. Those are the ones that got all ticked off about it. There's a problem here, not with you. So with all those other people that go to other churches, but you're perfect in every way. But I just felt like I needed to say something about this tonight, just in case, you know, you want to know where I stand. I stand on the side of the gospel. That there's nothing I can do, no rant that I could say all the right words to make somebody be convinced. We just got to keep this message out. Christ died for your sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day. Whoever believes on him will have everlasting life. Huh? And God loves, so loved the world that he gave the world everything that he had. Huh? Love is what wins. Love is what never fails. All right? Okay. On that note, let's go tonight. I am so excited to begin a series in the book of Hebrews. All right, so we are going to start in Hebrews chapter 1. Right after Shebrews, it's the next book, Hebrews. And then right before they brew. Stop, Eric. Stop now. See, now that's offensive. I understand. That's, I'm offended by my, by my own jokes. But I want to give it a little bit of history about the book of Hebrews before we, before we get into it, because it's important to know um, this book, its purpose. And uh, first, we need to talk about the audience. Obviously, the audience is Hebrews. That's the answer. It's not a trick question. The audience is, are the Hebrews. Any Hebrews here? We got one. Half Hebrew here. Half German. <laughs> German Jew. That's a contradiction, right? At least it was in 1944. But hallelujah now. Okay, let's edit that out. Don't, don't put that on the podcast. That was not very PC of me. From the tribe of Judah, right? Your family's from the tribe of Judah, the same tribe of Jesus. Oh, awesome. But this, uh, this letter does not name the person, the author of, of this book. Um, there's a lot of controversy and a lot of argument, a lot of opinions about who wrote it. We'll get to that in just a moment. But it does have an unmistakable Jewish flavor to it um, since it is a discussion of the relationship of Christ to the Levitical priesthood uh, and the temple sacrifices, and we'll get into all those down the road. This, the letter continually quotes the Old Testament throughout it to support the statements that it makes. So the traditional and commonly accepted view is that it was addressed to the Jewish Christians of Palestine or, uh, uh, or some that were in Rome as well, all right? Uh, the date of this writing was before A.D. 70 when... when um, uh, the, uh, when Jerusalem was burned and the temple was destroyed by the Roman invasion. And uh, so because the author refers to the sacrifices as are and is, so it seems to be going on in that present time 
Uh, they believe that this book was written somewhere between 65 and 69 A.D., just right before uh, the invasion. So, but the, the, one of the reasons for this letter was to prepare the Jewish Christians for the approaching uh, destruction of Jerusalem. And after accepting Jesus as their Messiah, many of them uh, continued to be zealous for the, for the temple and for the animal sacrifices and those things. And so this, the writer is telling them there's no need for that anymore. Jesus is the once-for-all sacrifice. You don't need to go to the temple and have an animal's blood shed for your sins. Your sins have been washed away. The once-for-all sacrifice has come. And so, uh, so they, were they were being tempted to go back to their old way of, of doing things or even to bring Judaism into the gospel and try to mix those two. And you know you can't mix those two. It's Christ or nothing. So it was, this, it was, this letter was written to explain to these Jewish Christians uh, that these animal sacrifices that they were, to which they were so attached were no longer of any use. And... Uh, that they must only look to Christ for redemption. Now, in the old, the original King James Version of the Bible, it says that Paul um, was the, the, he actually used to title Hebrews, the Epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. But later Bible translations simply call it the Epistle to the Hebrews uh, because in the oldest manuscripts that found that the King James translation was, uh, when it was made, that they made the assumption, not on proof, but on just assumption by some of the writing in it, that it was Paul. Now, no doubt that, that it is very Pauline in its, in its uh, writing and the understanding of it, but the likelihood of Paul actually being the author of Hebrews is, is not very good, actually, because when you look throughout the 13 letters that Paul wrote, every letter that he writes, the first word is the word Paul. The very first word in all 13 of his letters he wrote, he's making sure you know who's writing this letter, all right? But Hebrews doesn't open like that, and I don't believe that Paul's going to go off course. Now, I did, I've read a lot about this, and, and some scholars believe that Paul, uh, those who believe that Paul was the author, say that, well, because he was writing it to Jews, he knew that if, if they knew it was from him, that they would not accept it because they did not except his apostleship to the Gentiles, so that he maybe by stealth was writing this letter. I don't know about that, but um, a, a few different people have considered Paul. Tertullian called it the epistle of Barnabas. He believed that Barnabas wrote the, the book of uh, Hebrews. Uh, Clement of Alexandria thought that Paul wrote it in Hebrew and that Luke translated it into Greek. That's kind of an interesting thought. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, the father of the Reformation, uh, guessed that it was Apollos that wrote it because it, it is so eloquently written. And, um, and, and the Scripture says over in Acts chapter 18 that, that Apollos was eloquent in speech. And so there might be a tie there. Other possible authors include Priscilla and Aquila as well as Clement of Rome. Uh, Dr. John Holler, y'all know him? That's my dad. Anyway... He has an opinion that it was actually Priscilla that wrote the book of Hebrews. Hence, there's no name on it because she's female. And at that time, you know how women were seen back then, uh, that, that if she would have pinned her name to it, that it would not have been seen as authoritative for the church. So there's, there's a chance that she didn't put the name. Or there's a chance that there were a few writers here because it refers to us a couple of different times in the book of Hebrews. It's hard to say. 
but I can tell you, do you guys want to know? I know for sure. About all those opinions, I know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. And you fortunately showed up tonight to find out after all these centuries who did it. Heather. No, it was the Holy Spirit. So who cares, right? Ultimately, it was the Holy Spirit. But because it flows so well in the canon of Scripture, it has been touted as just as authoritative as all of them, just it, even though it does not have an author's name attached to it. We do know that it, this author was in the circle of Paul's friends because Timothy is mentioned in this group, all right? So we do know it's in that, in that group of people. Could have been all of them writing something. I don't know. Our, well, hopefully you learned something there. Uh, but let's go to Hebrews chapter 1 now, and let's jump into verse 1. I love the way that this book opens up. I mean, it's just a grandiose introduction. It's, you know how, how Genesis chapter 1 opens up? Don't you love that? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. I mean, that's just a powerful opening scene to the Scriptures, right? John 1 opens up, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yeah. Awesome. Hebrews opens up like this. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. Has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. Jesus, in other words, Jesus is the final revelation from God to us. All of these centuries, God had spoken through the prophets' mouths to, to, to utter His will, to utter His plans, His purpose in the earth. But now all of that has been summed up, and all of them in one way or another were pointing to this coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be the ultimate and final word from God to us. I want you to take your Bible and jump over to Luke for just a moment. Chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And we're going to begin in verse 28. Luke chapter 9 and verse 28. Now it came to pass about eight days after these things that he took Peter... John and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting that Moses and Elijah show up to talk to Jesus about his coming death? But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Good timing, Peter. Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. 
Say it. Hear Him. Hear Him. On that mountain, Moses is there, and Elijah is there. I kind of wonder how Peter knew that it was Moses and Elijah. Did he have pictures in his house? Did he have a picture Bible that he was reading as a kid and saw Moses with the Ten Commandments or looking at the burning bush in the wilderness, Elijah being whirled away up into heaven in the chariot of fire? I don't know. Somehow he knew because Moses and Elijah were there. Moses and Elijah. Moses is there to confirm the end of the law. Wow. Moses represents the law, but when he's standing next to Jesus, he's there to confirm the law is over right now. Grace and truth have come. The Scripture says that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Elijah is there to confirm the fulfillment of all prophecies concerning Christ. All of those things that were foretold, now is that moment right here. The fulfillment of all of it is found in this man, Jesus Christ. The law and the prophets giving witness to Jesus, grace and truth. Now, there's also something else interesting, my family, that I want to just throw at you tonight. Moses, the Scripture says, died. But the Lord buried him, and it ticked Satan off. It's a strange story, but the book of Jude, that one little chapter talks about there's this contention between Michael the archangel and Satan over the body of Moses. Because the, because the devil had a right to the corrupted body at one time. But before Jesus, remember, took the keys, death, hell, and the grave. You remember when, when Saul went down to um, the witch at Endor, right? Now, I'm not talking out of a Tolkien book. This actually happened. Saul went to, Saul the king, King Saul went to see the witch at Endor. It's ominous sounding, isn't it? And so she does this seance, right? And she, he calls Samuel, the prophet has died, so he calls up Samuel's spirit from the grave. I'm thinking, how in the world did this witch, how was she able to access Samuel's spirit and bring it up from the grave? And Samuel has a conversation with Saul. And it's not a very positive conversation. He says, why have you done this? He says, well, you know, I need some help. And he says, well, because you've done this, you're going to die today in battle, you and your son. And they did. They did. But the reason that she had access was because that was the enemy's domain. Had a right to, the, to, to call up those spirits. Strange times. But when Jesus went to the grave, he led captivity captive, and now he has all authority in heaven, earth, and under the earth, the Scripture says. So no longer does, is, does the devil have that power anymore, even though modern-day witches and people would like to think that's true. They're just, they're just demonic personages. But there is no power. If you think that somebody is, can call up your dead relative, that ain't nothing but a demonic expression. There is no your dead relative. Your dead relative is dead. All right? And if they're in heaven, hopefully they're in heaven. If they're in heaven, they don't have a clue what's going on in your world. 
all right? Remember the movie Ghost? It's nothing like that. Right, they're not walking around the earth trying to do good deeds for people. All right, Hollywood, just get that out of your head. They're with Jesus. They don't have any interest in what's going on here right now. When they got their eyes full of Jesus, old things are gone. Amen. And we'll see him again. But Moses, I've got to get back to my subject here. Moses died, but here he is on the mountain. He's also there to confirm for us that those who have died will be raised again. Elijah didn't die. Elijah was taken up. And he represents those who will still be here on the earth when Jesus descends from heaven, the Scripture says, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. The Scripture says, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall ever be with the Lord. Moses represents those who have died and will be raised. Elijah represents those who will still be alive and be caught up. Pretty awesome. And this is all centered around the person of Jesus who has, because he rose from the dead, he is proof and he is the hope that we all will. Matthew's version, Matthew chapter 17. Alex, if you want to jump over there, verse 5. Matthew 17, verse 5. I want you to notice something else about this event. Luke doesn't give this, this little account, but uh, this says, while he was still speaking, behold, talking about Peter, a bright cloud, say bright cloud, overshadowed them. That word bright means full of light. I looked it up in the Greek, you know. Bright means full of light. Bright cloud. Now, where are they? They're up on a mountain, aren't they? They're up on a mountain. A bright cloud overshadowed them. Why is it bright? Because Jesus is there. Now, go over to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, let's look at verse 9. I want you to notice something interesting here. What's going on in Exodus 19? Well, the law is coming. And the Lord said to Moses, Become a Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud. If you look that up in the Hebrew, it means dark cloud or darkness. So on Mount Sinai, it was a dark cloud. What did the law do? The Scripture says that the law, the law is the strength to sin. The law showed us how sinful we were. It was a dark, heavy, thick cloud. But when grace and truth came... On another mountain, it was a bright, full of light cloud. Hallelujah. All right, that was just a little piece of revelation there for you. Amen. And it's no accident. It's no accident that Peter, James, and John are on this mountain. It's no accident that three, these three guys are on this mountain. Peter, what does Peter mean? Rock. What is the law made of? Stone, rock. James, you know what James means? Well, James is actually, through Greek transliteration, it's actually Jacob. All right? The book of James is actually Yachav, Jacob. Jacob, the Lord's brother. 
Jacob means supplanter or replaced by. Watch. John means God's grace. The rock replaced by God's grace. That cannot be an accident that those three men were on that mountain that day seeing that very thing, the law and the prophets giving witness to grace and truth. Okay. He has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. Oh, that's good news, isn't it? Whom He appointed, let's go back to Hebrews, whom He appointed heir of all things. Did you see that? He appointed Jesus heir of all things. The Son gets all things. That's awesome. But there's an even awesomer thing to go along with it, an awesomer truth. If Jesus gets all things, well, I'll have to show you in Scripture since you're not convinced. Romans chapter 8. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verses, verse 16. <laughs> Romans eight sixteen. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I don't know if that does for you. That blesses me tonight. Right? The Spirit of God is not in me going, you know what? I don't know. If you, you're not really acting like a son. Are you a son? No, He bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Other things try to convince us that we're not. He's called the devil. Right? Do you remember what He said? When Jesus was led out in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, what's the first thing the devil said to him? If you are the Son of God. So if you're ever feeling that question, am I a child? That's the dumb devil. The Spirit is there to bear witness with you that you are a Son of God. He's not, he's not questioning that at all. But the devil, boy, he'll play tricks on you. He'll play games with you. Well, how did Jesus overcome it? Huh? You know, that's a good question, devil. Am I a son of God? I don't know. He didn't even get, he said, it is written. Every time, he always responded with the word. Of all the things Jesus could have done to overcome the devil, he just got out his little New Testament. I don't know, maybe he didn't have a New Testament back then. The Torah. And began to quote the word of God so that you and I could all have hope that we can overcome the same way. He taught you how to win by quoting the word of God. He didn't do something that was out of our realm to do. He came and humbled himself and became a man and then showed men how to overcome. Woo! Yeah. Amen. Every time, it's written, it is written, it is written. He didn't need to say anything else. He declared the everlasting word of God. And it was so. And the devil left him. All right? So the Spirit, okay, that's not even the point. Verse 17, and if children, then what? Then what? Jesus is the heir of, of how much stuff? All things. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Woo! You get what Jesus gets. That's what it tells you. You get what Jesus gets. If indeed, now let me keep on reading this. If indeed we suffer with him, 
that we may also be glorified together. Does that mean i got to suffer? Hey, do you live on planet Earth? You're going to suffer on this earth. I'm not talking about going around looking for suffering. You don't have to look very far to suffer. Just say you're a Christian today. You will suffer. Huh? That's all you got to do. Tell people you speak in tongues. You will suffer. Whew. I remember I used to have my friends tell them, you speak in tongues? I'd say, yeah, they go, do it. Like, this isn't, I'm not a monkey. I'm not going to perform for you. Today I would. I just put my hand on them and start playing in this. You asked for it. Uh, anyway. If indeed we suffer with him, that word suffer just means hardships and pain. In this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. Right? And, if, and at one time, Paul says that we were going with the flow of the world. We were under the power of the prince of the air, the Scripture says. The devil himself. So we were just going with the flow of that. But as soon as you put your faith in Jesus, everything that you are in flow with now has started coming against you. Everything that, that seems so... But now when you're in Christ, everything there's all this resistance. And then you start having this resistance in yourself too. Right? You do something wrong, all of a sudden you don't feel right about it. It didn't used to bother you at all. But now something in you is, whoa, what's this? What's this? Why do I feel bad all of a sudden about this? Because your heart has changed. Right? Your heart begins to speak to you and tell you, hey, you're a new creation. Old things are gone. Live in that new, 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 new life. All right, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And then look what Paul says, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings, the trouble in this world, the pain, the hardships of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So, you are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We've got to go back to Hebrews. I'm almost through for tonight. Through whom also, verse 2, through whom also he made the worlds. We know that without Jesus, nothing was made that was made, the Scripture says. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things, I love this phrasing, by the word of his power. Now, it it would be easy to make sense of if it said by the power of his word, wouldn't it? But this says by the word of his power. Interesting phrasing. And when you look it up in the Greek, it's intentionally written by the word of his power. It's not a mis mistranslation. We know, that, we know about the power of his word. But what is this word of his power? He's upholding all things by the word of his power. Think about it. Is God powerful? Yeah, He's powerful. But when you say that God is powerful, it's kind of a big, vague thought, isn't it? I mean, you think, well, He's powerful. But the word of His power takes that power and laser points it. So when God said, light be, it was the word of His power, and light was. 
And everything is upheld by the word of His power. That's why we haven't gone flying off the face of the earth, because the word of His power is holding everything together. That's why this system of the solar system, all these things work together in harmony, because they're all being upheld by the word of His power. Now, I want you to understand something. That same power is in you. So that when you get His Word in you, whatever you say is upheld by the Word of His power. Jesse, come up here for just a moment. I want you to share what you shared with Heather and I just a little bit ago. Speaking of the Word of His power. Thank you. Um, well, uh, my first year at CFNI, I took a mission trip to... Uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand, and uh, we were specifically there to minister to women of human trafficking, and um, every night before we would go to the bars to minister to the ladies, um, we would proclaim this verse over the bars and over the women who were trapped in the bars and over the entire city and over ourselves, and the verse is Isaiah 61, verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound. And so when we were in the bars, we would always speak this word. The, the ladies would go and minister to the women, and the men would go and minister to the men, or make sure the ladies were, you know, we were watching their back. And... Um, we met this girl named May who was trapped in this bar. Um, she was a prostitute, and the only way she could support herself was prostitution. And that was the only way she could get money to live. Um, over the course of the, the two weeks that we spent there, and the more time that the women spent with her, speaking this word over her and talking to her, just, just speaking words, just life, and especially this verse, they shared this verse with her. Over those two weeks... Um, you could see freedom coming back into her eyes and you could see her situation changing. And by the end of those two weeks, we got her hooked up with a different job in a ministry, in a coffee shop, and she was working at that job. Uh, no longer does she have to be in the bars and support herself with prostitution. And you can speak God's word and you can stand on God's word and you can know that God's word won't return void. It will always work every time. She said that the one thing that got her out, the one thing that changed her mind was this verse, this specific verse that they shared with her. And that verse is the thing that got her through, that gave her the power to think that I can get out of this, I can do something different. Fantastic. Fantastic. Beautiful. So she got a hold of this scripture, and her life began to be upheld by the word of his power. And see, the Scripture teaches us that the gospel is a message, isn't it? It's a message that must be proclaimed. How shall they believe on Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? All right? So the gospel is a proclamation of words, not a righteous lifestyle. Let me say that one more time. The gospel is a proclamation of words, not a righteous lifestyle. All right? That old, uh, 
that old quote that rings in my ears and makes me grip my teeth. Let us preach the gospel and use words if we have to. That's the most moronic thing I've ever heard in my entire life. We must preach the gospel with words. All right? Remember the angel told Cornelius, send for Peter. He will tell you words by which you and all your house will be saved. He's not going to come and live righteously before you until you finally get it. Peter's going to do a whole lot of good stuff, and then you're going to understand. No, he's going to tell you words by which you and all your house. It's the word of his power, and everything is upheld. You right now are upheld by the word of his power. That word, that, that, what is that word? That Christ died for your sins. And you believed in that, and your whole life began to be upheld by the word of his power, that Jesus paid it all. And now I'm a new creation in Christ. I don't know what your situation is, but it might need some power in it. And so you're going to have to declare his word to experience the word of his power. Direct his word into your situation and experience the power of that word. Amen. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things, say all things. Say, all my things, everything about me is upheld by the word of his power. Amen. When he had by himself purged our sins. I love that. I love that it says it just like that, by himself. Jesus took it upon himself. No one else was going to add to it. Nobody else could help. Jesus was doing it all by himself. Took it upon himself, purged our sins, and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for this great time in your presence. Thank you for the word of your power, that everything is upheld by that word. Thank you, Father God, that your word is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. It's so precise that way. And of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That even though our thoughts up here in our head might not be all they need to be, that's not what you're looking at. You're looking at the thoughts of our heart, which are your thoughts, because he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And we thank you tonight for the freedom that we have. We thank you for the preeminence, the supremacy of Jesus Christ, hallelujah, who is above all. Glory to God. And all things are for him and through him and in him all things consist. And the scripture says that we are complete in him. As that song was said tonight, Christ is enough for me. Everything I need. We thank you, Lord. We declare tonight that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of our lives. He's Lord of our bodies. He's Lord of our spouse. He's Lord of our children. Lord of our job. Lord of our money. Lord of our stuff. Lord of all. And we choose tonight to let everything in our life be upheld by the word of your power tonight. We will not be convinced of anything else but what you have said. We will not accept anything else but what you have said. In the name of Jesus, your word is eternal. And your word is relevant now in our lives. A right now power. Hallelujah. I thank you now, Father, that you bless your people as they go here, from here tonight. I declare safety and protection. You give your angels charge over them to keep them in all their ways. 
I, I thank you, Lord. No evil shall befall them. No plague shall come near their dwelling. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord. They shall be far from terror and far from oppression. It shall not even come near them in the name of Jesus because they are established in righteousness. Your favor surrounds them as with a shield. When they lay down at night, they will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make them dwell in safety. All of their children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be their peace. Thank you, Lord, that they go in grace, they go in peace, and they go with this message of reconciliation, that they're bold to declare that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and that he loves and he forgives and he redeems and he restores and he heals and he blesses. Thank you, Father. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.